We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Crystal Wattler, who's the Managing Director of Virtue Worldwide. Let's jump in and get to know Crystal. Crystal, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thank you for having me. We're thrilled you're here. Crystal, for our listeners who don't know you, can you tell us uh, what you're doing for work these days and tell us a little bit about what's happening from nine to five? For sure. So I am the managing director of Virtue Americas. So Virtue is the full service creative agency born from Vice. And I am responsible for the Americas region. So the Americas region is inclusive of Brooklyn, LA, Toronto, Mexico City, and Sao Paulo. So Canada, United States, Mexico, and Brazil. And from North America, we service global accounts. From Mexico and Brazil, we service Latin accounts. Very cool. I want to ask you a little bit more about work here shortly. Tell us a little bit about Crystal. Where are you from? Where were you born? And can you tell us a little bit about your family? Of course. The listeners won't... The listeners won't be able to see this, but the gods can see that I have my Spelman College shirt on, which I'll get to in a second. But um, (laughs) Crystal is a first-generation American. So both of my parents are immigrants to this country. My dad is from Panama. He is an Afro-Latino. My mom is from Grenada, the Caribbean island, Grenada. And they both came to this country for, you know, greater opportunities and made a wonderful life for themselves and for myself here. I was born in Brooklyn, but raised in Long Island, in Hempstead, Long Island specifically. So I went to public school my entire life and then had the wonderful opportunity to attend the illustrious Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, where I graduated with a computer science degree, bachelor's in major in computer science, minor in mathematics, And when I graduated, I started off in finance. So I was in corporate banking for a couple of years at Citigroup in Tribeca, Manhattan, and then had an awesome opportunity to move to London at 24 years old Hmm. and work for Goldman Sachs for a year. And that year was a pivotal year, right? Took a risk. It was one of my best friends that said, you know, one year from now, are you going to wonder if? So if you're going to wonder if, you got to take it. And I was like, you know what? I am going to wonder if, so I'll take it. So I took it and I actually hated it. <laughs> mm. I wasn't drinking what the did, juice. I just wasn't drinking the juice. Hate? Um, it was the first time, I mean, I was young, right? I was 24 at the time. So uh, relatively speaking, uh, it was the first time it was hard to get up in the morning, right? Mm. And... It was a middle office position. I was coming from a front office position at my last finance job. So always been, you know, relationship oriented on the team that's responsible for bringing in revenue. And then I went to a middle office position that was more operational. And I just think it was just the wrong role for me, you know, and given the matrix organization that is larger organizations, it was very, very difficult to, to see an opportunity to move back to front office. So I just wasn't drinking the juice, you know, and I think that is okay. And I think knowing what you don't want to do is equally as important as what you do want to do. And so mm. after a year, I decided to, you know, 
We didn't renegotiate that contract. And I moved back to New York. And, you know, I think back, that was 13, 14 years ago. And my mom, who worked at Unilever for 29 years, okay, it was just like, what are you doing? Like, you have good benefits. Like, Mm. like, where are you leaving? But anyway, it was the most pivotal and most important decision I ever made, right, for my career. Yeah. And Crystal, I think you said something in there that I think was very important that I hope the listeners catch on to when you said that it was difficult to wake up in the morning. And to me, that's always the gauge right there. Are you excited to get up in the morning and go do what you have to do that day? And if you aren't, then you're not doing what you want to be doing. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. I was invited to this panel probably around August, September last last year. And there was this question and someone said, you know, like a work-life balance type of question, like, how do you do it? And my response was, I'm in flow. Mm. That feeling of being in flow and, and, you know, I sleep like a baby. You know, the business is challenging. This business is crazy, as we all know. But I'm in the right environment where I'm able to thrive. I feel challenged. My strengths are being utilized. I'm, you know, able to lead and be who I am, no matter where I am. I'm that. I do feel lucky. And and when I was at Goldman Sachs, which is, let's be clear, an excellent organization, you know, it just wasn't the same. And I think we as human beings, period, I was going to say professionals, just as as people, we have agency over our lives, right? We choose what we want to do. Yep. And I want, I always want people to, to take ownership of that. And that comes with work. You know, uh, Crystal, I want to ask you about your family. You know, you mentioned uh, Panama, Caribbean, mom, Unilever for, you know, many, mm-hmm. many years. And so, and also being first generation here, mm-hmm. you know, Tell us a little bit about how that impacted, you know, your identity and like who you are today. You know, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that. Um, that's so question of identity is just is such an interesting one that can be impacted in its own own podcast. But I would say what I got from my mom is this intense desire to always be on the right side of what's right. She's the person who throughout my entire life would be the morality check (laughs) Mm -hmm. would be the, you know, what did you do for your family check would be the, did you take your vitamins check? What are you doing for yourself? And so I got that from her. I also got from her this notion of never being satisfied, which comes with its pros and cons, which, you know, Mm -hmm. people on this call may be dealing with in therapy. Um, But in all honesty, it's this notion of what could I do better? What about from your dad? My dad was the the overly positive and optimistic and can do. And Crystal, you are a leader and don't you ever forget it. Crystal, you are a people person and don't you ever forget it. I would come to him, you know, even when I was an intern, right? And, or early in my career, I'd be like, dad, you know, I, you know, this is happening. That's happening. I don't know what to do. And he'd be like, Crystal, why are you talking to these people? Go to the top. You know, so my dad brought the swagger. (laughs) 
he was fortunate enough to go to, to college. And so he went to NYIT. And so he did technology and technology sales across several companies and business development. So I think I got that gene from him. Awesome. I have to ask about Spellman and your experience there. And, you know, specifically, you had the foundation from your parents and then Spellman, right? And, and how did Spellman then prepare you for life after college and being in, the, in, in sort of the real world, if you will? Yeah, for sure. I think what Spellman does or did for me and so many of my sisters, it affirmed us in a way that only a safe Black space can affirm Black people, or in this case, Black women. Mm -hmm. Right. It wasn't until I left my public high school and left New York and left the comforts of my, my home and went to Spelman where I learned the notion of white supremacy, mm. the notion of being a black body in a white space and, you know, the historical significance to that and how if we don't deal with that, the present and the future is only going to be ripe with chaos, which is what we've only experienced and thankful for democratization of social media, which has put what we all know on this call to be true, just more publicly for all Americans. Mm -hmm. But Spellman was joy. Spellman was safe. Spellman was affirmative every single day. The leadership challenged us in excellence by being excellent themselves. And you know, while there might have been some expectations that I think every Spellman alum would leave and in your 20s, you just have to figure out yourself, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But there was always a couple of different notions that every Spellman alum knows, which is, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Or yeah. you know, a choice to change the world. Yeah, There are these, you know, just these affirmations that we know. And it's like when we are able to, you know, if we're lucky enough to, to experience certain situations in our personal life or in our professional lives where those can be activated, it's just an incredible experience. And then leaving Spellman and then entering the world of the world of work. And I can tell you any position that I was considering, any professional or personal anything that I w went through in my career since graduating in 2004, there was always a Spelman woman, a part of that conversation set, a part of that, those, what we would now call a board of directors, right? That you go to and talk to about things that are going on. Spelman is a, just a constant. So, you know, I am a consistent donor. I am trying to get as many <laughs> young black women to go to Spelman as possible. It's an incredible institution. Yeah. Now, Obviously, you know, there is a woman in the White House now, not the exact same path as you, right? But we're talking about immigrant parents, first generation American, went to an HBCU as well, too. Oh, there, yeah. there has to be an extra sense of pride from you because of, of, of those. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Stop it. I mean, from the HBCU love is amazing and obviously we will always have laughs and jokes when it comes to different hbcus and how we rep for each other so hard but when any of us win we all are there to support even i'm not 
in a sorority. The fact that Kamala is an AKA, I'm so happy for all my AKA friends. Mm. I'm so happy for all of my Divine Nine friends who, you know, are part of these communities to do good and to give back to the community and to see one of their own ascend to the highest position in the land. So it's all love. And I'm so thankful. There's so many conversations. And again, I don't, I don't know where you both went undergrad, but I cannot tell you how many conversations I remember in my early 20s talking to people, questioning the validity of an HBCU. Mm. You know, people who went to PWIs, uh, excuse me for those who don't know, predominantly white institutions and would question, you know, are you getting a quote unquote real world experience at an HBCU? Um, little do you know, you know, we, we need to have those safe spaces in order to recognize who we are. And obviously, if you can do that at other institutions, beautiful. We're now at a point where you can't question the, the validity of an HBCU and the importance in, in this country. Absolutely not. And and I would also say, too, you know, given the events that have occurred in, in the U.S. over the past 10 months, you know, the okay. the racial tension and, and injustices we've seen there. And as companies start to think about, you know, their own diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives, now mm-hmm. even more attention is being paid to HBCUs from a, a recruitment standpoint. So I, I think that that is a positive thing as well, too. Yeah, I mean, so many programs from brands partnering with them. It's 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 fantastic. And I think even when I see some of them kind of like the top HBCUs are by ranking, by whatever the US News and, Re- and World Report is. But I love when I see brands and organizations, you know, there are over 100 HBCUs in the country. So if we can show love to to all of them, mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. critical, important. Yeah. So I was preparing for this interview, Crystal. I saw that, you know, at, at your company, Virtue Worldwide, your company has 46% BIPOC in North America, right? And I feel so many companies right now are struggling with how do they recruit and hire a diverse staff? And just equally as important, how do they retain that staff and help them grow professionally yeah. Given some of the stats and, and and success that you and your company have had, what advice would you give to any other organization that's out there listening? Yeah, so I'm actually writing an op-ed about this. Some more to come. And I'm actually at the, at the point where I have to put down my, my thoughts on what those actions are. So I'm probably just going to riff a little bit here. All good. So, so number one, this is more than your DEI person, right? Your diversity, equity, and inclusion person. Mm-hmm. As the managing director for my region, right? When I took on this role in August 2019, I immediately re- realized how I set the priority for my organization. It's on me. Mm. And obviously, my boss, who's the global president. And so, in a post George Floyd world where agencies are now having to put their diversity stats, and you see that there's been no change in a decade, right? Since, mm-hmm. or five years, whenever, the, you know, because this continues to happen, mm-hmm. right? And the performative statements are made. We now got to a point where that, this just has not been a priority for any of these legacy agency holding company leaders. And it must be. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And again, I'm thankful for social media to show the things and to hold people accountable and the next generation of talent who are not playing. Gen Z does not accept anything less than committed action and authenticity into this world. And so my advice for leaders across the spectrum is to be intentional, right? And so something that I did from day one, and again, I don't know if it's because I am BIPOC, right? If this is just innate to me and my experience and this being a priority for us as an organization, but anytime we are privileged to make a hire, it is me, my head of department, my head of recruiting, who is a Latina, and we look at the makeup of the team. And the question I ask, what point of view is missing? Mm-hmm. You've got to be honest. Mm-hmm. You have to be honest. Mm-hmm. So when it was our account team that we were looking for a group account director, we looked and we said, okay, what point of view is missing? And it was a Black woman. And so that is very directive. That is not affirmative action. That is not quotas. That is the realest essence of ensuring that you have diverse points of view on your team to help you run your business. And we ended up finding an incredible person who came in, leveled up the team just by her sheer presence and effectiveness and building trust with clients immediately. It was was just amazing to witness. So there's that. And it's just trickled over in different departments as well. And it's just something that we're just committed to. So I think there's something about being intentional. And then there's also this notion of continuous learning, right? As a person of color, as a Black woman who went to Spelman College, in all Spelman College, freshmen have to take this class called ADW, African Diaspora in the World. So we are rooted in the ills and the sins of this country and world from day one. And I think my non-BIPOC counterparts in, you know, just a white supremacist country that we live in, you know, haven't had to do the work. They didn't have to do the work, right? And so I think there is some serious work that needs to be had in terms of continuous education, continuous challenging of status quo, and continuous, you know, surrounding yourself with people that look different than you, Mm -hmm. right? And they're going to challenge perspectives. And I say that because post-George Floyd, I'm still learning. Yeah. You know, so like Ibrams Kendi, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I remember that was one of the first podcasts that I listened to after the murder of, of George Floyd. And I remember thinking like, holy crap. So on the spectrum of racist and anti-racist, we are all on the spectrum. And there are BIPOC people who can be not anti-racist. You know, so if, I, if I'm still learning and checking myself and seeing things that maybe I even do, right? That is mm-hmm. unconscious because of the system that we've all grown up in. Like that means there's a lot of work for our non-BIPOC people to mm-hmm. do. Too. So the second thing, so it's being intentional with hiring. Second thing is continuous education. And I think, you know, we're now in 2021, there's no excuse. So at this point it's willful ignorance and conscious ignorance, to be mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. you know? And I think staff must hold their leaders accountable. I think the third thing in terms of retention is the most difficult one, because if you are in a space that has always been a dominant culture and one that is ripe with 
the ills of whiteness that's really difficult to make safe for BIPOC talent. And so that is something that I'm not sure. I know at Virtue, we've been able to provide an environment where all talent can thrive. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I still need to unpack what that means and and what are the actions that we're doing that allow people to feel safe, Mm -hmm. that allow people to bring their full self to work in a professional setting, obviously, and not worry about it. I took all of the Black History Month last year. Happy Black History Month, guys. Happy Black History Month. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Last February, I took all the, the Black talent out to lunch. And one of the questions I asked was, what does it mean to be Black at Virtue? And to have the majority of the people there say things like, this is the first agency that I've been at where I'm not the only one. Mm. This is the first agency that I've been at where I feel I'm not the token. I'm, I can just be, I can just be a copywriter. I can just be a great copywriter. I don't have to justify my existence. I don't have to be the black voice on the team. I can just be great. Mm. So I need to unpack that a little bit more and include in the op-ed that I'm working on because I, I you know, I'm still learning this stuff. You know, I'm not a DEI expert. We don't have that role within virtue. Yeah. Our parent company is the Vice Media Group. And so are we have an incredible head of talent, Chief Talent Officer, Daisy Dominguez, who um, takes on that role for all of Vice Media Group. But within virtue, the line of business, we don't have that role. So I hope that answered the question. Yeah, it did. And I, I just have one follow up there. You know, we've all been home for, I guess, 10, 11 months now. And Curious to get your thoughts on if being in this virtual world makes it easier or harder to show up to work and be your full self or no difference. I think it is easier. I think it is easier. So I just think about in a pre-COVID world, I was in LA once a week every month to be with the team. And then I would go to Toronto Toronto's easier. I can do a day trip to Toronto. I will always try to spend three days in Toronto every other month. I took on Latam in July of last year. In a pre-COVID world, I probably would have been spending a week a month in Mexico City, a week a month in Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. Think about that now is wild. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just completely yeah. wild and guess what? Unnecessary. Mm. So I do think it makes it easier because just the notion of work from home and not being able to travel and taking meetings on Zoom, Google Hangout, WebEx, Microsoft Teams, all the, all the things, it just strips away so much, mm-hmm. right? So like before, you know, there were some people who could be in the hallways with our clients more than some other agencies could, right? Or maybe, you know, there were some other relationships there that, you know, allowed people to get in front of a client more physically or whatever. And we all know physical interaction definitely helps build a relationship faster. But in this, in this world, you know, I I love when I'm on calls and you hear sirens Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. I love when I'm on calls and someone's kid runs up and does something incredibly funny Mm -hmm. or someone's dog, a doorbell rings and someone's dog goes absolutely nuts I'm attracted to realness. I'm attracted to humanity. And I love the grace that we've had to give each other. And I think in that grace, it does help 
help level the playing field a little bit and allow yeah. just good talent to rise. And and to the other point that I was making in terms of in a pre-COVID world, how much traveling, how much business travel I did and me taking on another region, how much business travel I probably would have put on myself to be with the team because I am mm. definitely like a that type of leader. Mm-hmm. Virtual has allowed me to get to know my teams that much better without even being in the same room with them. Gotcha. You know, like we have this thing called Friday rundowns at the agency. That's where every Friday I, I talk about things that are happening in the agency. So everyone's up to date on stuff, et cetera. So we would do it in person in Brooklyn with that team. Then I would send the talking points to LA and Toronto. I'd have the call with, with LA. I have, you know, a senior person on the ground in Toronto who would then take those points and share it with the team on the ground in Toronto. Now I have a hundred incredible human beings joining a call once a week for 30 minutes to talk about the agency. You know, we, we just didn't do that before. And so I am, I'm here for it. Yeah. I think it does allow us to just operate differently and more efficiently and, and, and smartly. Great. Crystal, I want to talk about, you know, some folks who have been influential in your life or some folks that, you know, we sometimes we use the word mentor, but not everybody has mentors. And, and so who are some folks, you know, that, that really have been influential or helpful even along the way for you? Oh, so many people, so many people, man. So obviously my Spelman community, I was very active in the New York alumni chapter in my 20s, volunteered on the fundraising committee, chaired the fundraising committee, became a a vice president, and then eventually became um, the president of the organization for, I think, two years. And so that experience allowed me to test my my leadership skills, right? So I'm, I'm responsible for teams and volunteer teams at that. So you, you, you can motivate a volunteer team who's not getting paid to do something. <laughs> and you learn from it in a safe way as well. So my Spelman community, I'm forever grateful for, for opportunities to, to lead on the local level in that way. And then obviously just the sisterhood of Spelman and so many women, my OGs, <laughs> who graduated in 76 and 82 who are still there for me, who've known me since I was in college, who've gone on to just do incredible things. I think about this person that I called my fairy godmother in advertising, this woman who I met through through networking, who got me my first job in advertising, a Black woman named uh, Tanisha Abernathy. I think about the person who I call my, the godfather, my godfather in advertising, Steve McCall. He's the person who, when I got to KBS on the account side, He's the one that came. He was the head of account management then who came to me and said, hey, there's an opportunity on the business development team. You know, would love for you to, to take it. Here are the pros, here are the cons, here are more of the cons because BD in advertising land is, is a beast. But here's what you're going to get out of it. Mm. And he's like, it will be six to 12 month rotation. So I'm like, all right, cool. Think, yeah, let's do it. And that was probably 2011, right? So we're talking 10 years later now. You know, having a career in BD and that career is what led me to where I am now. So I'm forever grateful to that person, to Steve and Tanisha, who over the years I've continued to touch base with. And then there are other people who, you know, just building relationships with and getting connected with them. 
and asking for guidance. You know, it's something I, I like the way you said that, Eric. It's not mentor in a formal sense, um, but it's building relationships, right? And knowing that everyone has something to add. And I think because I chose business development as my craft, as my career, I intimately know the importance of building relationships, maintaining relationships. And that's just that's just something that's innate in my in my DNA and and that's helped me get to where I am today. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, often, you know, in, in, in roles like BD and others, you know, you're looking for a source of inspiration sometimes. You know, what's inspiring you these days? Oh, what is inspiring me these days? I think what inspires me and scares me at the same time <laughs> is obviously the rapid change in our business. And I think, you know, the con of it is you can, your, your plan means, am I allowed to curse? Absolutely. Your plan means shit in six months. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like so COVID was kind of awesome because I've always felt this way. And then COVID just accelerated that. And it was just like, okay, cool. Like your three-year plan means nothing. Um, <laughs> So I love that. And, you know, I, I believe in people, right? I believe, you know, this is, this is saying, I told my head of comms this before, that in post George Floyd, when, when the unrest was happening and the protests were happening, there was a, a protest sign on the screen. And it's a sign and a statement that we've heard forever. And it was the power of the people is greater than the people in power. Mm. And that just punched me in the face and just, I just resonated with it for some reason. And I am convinced part of the reason why I am successful today is because mm. I believe in the people and I listen to them. I, I often talk about, and this is something that also that I learned at Spelman that I didn't understand then but I understand now is the notion of being a servant leader, leader. And that can mean different things to different people. But in my position now, I'm here to serve, right? My, my entire point of view on business development is serving. I'm always looking for the win-win situation for a client and for my agency. You know, when it comes to my, my staff, you know, I want people who especially, you know, young people who are to totally marginalized in certain organizations. Oh, you don't know anything. You're young. Or, you know, BIPOC people who are pretty much always marginalized. Oh, you know, their, their opinion doesn't matter. In my world, it does. You know, so when I'm in meetings and we have the most junior person in the room, I want to know what they think. And I've approved budget for junior strategists to uncover thought leadership that is amazing. So I'm inspired by youth. And I think it's interesting that I am at, at Virtue, which is the full service creative agency born from Vice. Vice Media Group is the number one global youth media company in the world. And they have their finger on the pulse of, of what's next. And I'm just, I'm inspired by that. Like just the genius of people. And, you know, look at Amanda Gorman, who was the, the poet mm -hmm. laureate for the inauguration. Like, Cindy Gallup put a post out on, uh, on LinkedIn and she was like, imagine agency leaders, if you hired black talent like Amanda, what you would get. And I thought that was just a very potent statement. So what inspires me? People inspire me. You know, we're all messy. 
we're human and we all have sparks of greatness. And I think when we can tap into that, who knows what can happen. So I'm inspired by that. And I'm inspired by creators on social media. Awesome. Yeah. So question for you, Crystal, another question for you. If there is a young lady that's currently attending Spelman right now, listening mm-hmm. to this podcast, and maybe they're a junior or senior and going to you know, leave college in the near future, what advice would you give to that young lady? Don't be afraid to explore. Don't be afraid to explore sometimes. And I think this generation doesn't have it, probably doesn't have that problem. When I came out of school, yeah. Facebook, I think just opened up to other campuses. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about the world, yeah, just opened up to other campuses. When I graduated, it was grad school, consulting companies, or banking. Yeah. So the notion of advertising wasn't even just on my radar. radar. And and now look, all all three of us work in the ecosystem of this business in different capacities. And we all know how technology has positively disrupted our businesses, right? Mm -hmm. So I would want that young lady to explore options and know that we do not need to know where we want to go. You know, I I think we all add suffering (laughs) to our lives because we feel like we need to have it all figured out. And what's the fun of life if we have it figured out? Right. You know, and so I can now say that now looking back 17 years (laughs) and seeing my career trajectory, which was far from a straight line, but was all all about trusting my gut, betting on myself, believing in myself being okay with the unknown and focusing on personal development. You know, you build your your values. Once you're able to articulate what you value, what you articulate, you are to, you're able to articulate the environments in which you thrive in, the type of people you want to work with, those type of things are the pieces that aid in great, in great working environments and careers. And it's something that we can't, can't force it. You know, unfortunately, when I look back on my 20s, there was definitely some suffering there. But at the one point when I read this one book, uh, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, it completely helped me quiet my mind and learn how to stay present and just focus on what was in front of me. And that's when I decided to just, you know, focus on the craft of BD and being the best BD person I could be, no matter what the outcome was. And it's just led me it led me to an interesting place. And so just explore, have fun, meet people, build relationships, maintain those relationships, and don't be too tough on yourself. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. One fun question I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast is give me the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Okay. Definitely Instagram. (laughs) Yep. Definitely Uber Eats. <laughs> Let's see. What would number three be? Slack. Okay. There you go. Got to eat. Got Slack. <laughs> Got to scroll. Uh, right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, Crystal, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. And also, uh, a lot of our listeners love to stay in touch and follow you. What are some ways that they can stay in touch? 
Oh, that's awesome. So on Instagram, um, at crystal underscore Watler, K-R-Y-S-T-L-E underscore W-A-T-L-E-R. My page is open. And then you can hit me there. I'm going to be completely honest. My inbox personally and professionally is not fun. So <laughs> you can hit me on Instagram. Sounds great. Well, thanks everyone for listening to another episode. And if you're looking for more episodes, you can find us where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you.